0: Reporting. Hello, you're listening to the Congress of Neurological Surgeons Journal Club podcast. My name is Dr. Martina Stipler, and I will be moderating this session. Today, we will discuss one of our top papers in the pain section. The title of the paper is Comparison of 10 kilohertz High Frequency and traditional low-frequency spinal cord stimulation for the treatment of chronic back and leg pain. 24-month results from a multicenter, randomized controlled trial. I have the first author here, and I will ask him to introduce himself first, and then the two discussants, please.
1: Yeah, my name is uh, Leo Capuro. I'm uh pain physician and uh, anesthesiologist uh, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm also a professor of anesthesiology at Wake Forest University.
0: Dr. Schwab?
2: This is uh, Jason Schwab. I'm the president-elect of the joint pain section of the AANS and CNS.
0: Dr. Rogati? Hi,
3: my name is Pratik I'm uh, one of the CNS leadership fellows for this year, and I'm the chief resident of neurosurgery at Penn State University.
0: Very good. Dr. Paporal, if
1: you could please lead away with an introduction. Yes. So this this is a 24-month data of the the SENSA randomized prospective trial. This was the parallel arm non-inferiority study that was designed to generate clinical evidence for 10 kilohertz but also for traditional spinal cord stimulation in this type of design. And the data that we uh, present in this abstract are 24 months uh, follow-up data. So devices that we used was the investigational spinal cord stimulation system that delivered 10-kilohertz therapy. Uh, This is a paresthesia-free system that is delivered in consistent uh, anatomical placement of the uh, epidural uh, uh, leads. And then the control arm was commercially available, traditional spinal cord stimulation system. And uh, this uh, type of design was uh, uh, prescribed uh, and provided uh, in uh, concert with the With the uh, FDA recommendations, so uh, we enrolled about 200 patients, about 100 in each arm, and uh, uh, all of them uh, were accounted for for 12 months follow-up. This 24-month data is uh, actually voluntary extension of the study. We had uh, very good um, uh, compliance maintenance of the patients throughout these 24 months, and uh, we were able to show the data on back and leg pain. So primary outcome, as you may know, was uh, uh, the the percentage of the patients that had more than 50% of the back pain relief. Uh, So at uh, 24 months, uh, uh, we showed uh, superiority of the 10 kilohertz uh, spinal cord stimulation, for back pain, but also for the leg pain, and even more, if you look at the individual back pain reductions in 24 months, HF10 therapy again uh, showed the uh, um, significant improvements uh, as well as the leg pain. Um, That uh, reflected in uh, superior improvement in functional capacity uh, for the 10 kilohertz uh, uh, 10 kilohertz uh, treatment group, uh, where we had about 65% of the patients moving from the uh, crippled or severe Oswestry 3 disability index to, do, uh, to those who had moderate or minimal uh, uh, functional disability. Uh, compare this to control arm, uh, to what we call traditional or paresthesia-based stimulation, uh, where 49% of the patients achieved the same goal, um, that arm obviously did well as, uh, uh, as well, it was still uh, uh, the uh, 10 kilohertz uh, spinal cord stimulation was superior to, uh, to the traditional spinal cord stimulation. So uh, we were really uh, pleased to publish those data uh, uh, this year in uh, Journal of Neurosurgery. Thank you.
0: Dr. Pratik could I ask you to lead away with the first question please?
1: Great. Thank you Dr. Kapoor for that uh, wonderful
3: overview of your uh, study. In general when you're talking about you know stimulation for the treatment of pain with spinal cord stimulation there's been a variety of new technologies kind of becoming more and more um, prevalent in the community, and we're kind of learning about traditional spinal cord stimulation, burst stimulation, high-frequency stimulation, and dorsal root ganglia stimulation for patients. How do you kind of make the decision now in your own clinical practice uh, how to guide and counsel patients as to which therapy they may most benefit from?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, well, wherever sufficient uh, high-level evidence exists, uh, I believe we should incorporate this into our clinical decision-making process. Uh, there was a recently published DRG randomized prospective trial as well, and addressed only uh, leg pain, neuropathic limb pain, uh, mainly CRPS and mononeuropathy. Back pain was excluded specifically in that study, so really does not compare or doesn't fall in this treatment algorithm that I'm reporting in this study. Um, so when it comes to other therapies, uh, obviously you can see that comparison with the traditional spinal cord stimulation, 10 kilohertz was superior. Uh, and then burst has been around for years. Uh, the only higher level study is a sunburst randomized controlled trial. This is the pivotal trial that was recently reported. Uh, it, it showed minimal, um, clinic, uh, not really clinically uh, significant improvement, but uh, uh, still superior to traditional spinal cord stimulation and still uh, somewhat better because of the lack of the paresthesias or, or fewer patients having, uh, uh, you know, uh, any kind of paresthesias. So, um, so responder rate was uh, relatively low in that study. So in, in my practice, uh, when it comes to back and leg pain, I, st- I still, in from the, and after the study, which was really, uh, 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 you know, um, uh, the practice change for me, I used the 10 kilohertz uh, spinal cord stimulation.
3: Oh, wonderful. How do you then think about kind of intrathecal pain pump therapies for back pain? Because that's often been kind of for true axial back pain without a radiculopathy component, kind of one of the main workhorses.
1: I can tell you, I mean, before I moved here to North Carolina, I was 14 years at the Cleveland Clinic. I implanted quite a few pumps in early 2000, probably in the range of 200 or even more. And uh, uh, my number of the intrathecal pumps over the last two years decreased significantly. We're talking about very few per year. So there are very few candidates now when we achieve such effectiveness with the spinal cord stimulation uh, for uh, non-malignant uh, uh, back and leg pain uh, when it comes to intrathecal therapies. Great. Now-
3: if, you know, one of the benefits we talk about with high frequency stimulation that is that it doesn't induce the paresthesias that patients, you know, look for in fact for effectiveness treatment with traditional spinal cord stimulation. You know, in this study you talk about um basically controlling or randomizing a group to traditional spinal cord stimulation versus high frequency stimulation. But was there a thought or consideration as to blinding the patients themselves who have high frequency stimulation, whether the stimulator was on or off? and whether patients or not can actually kind of tell the difference instantaneously? Is this something that kind of builds up over time, or is this really not feasible to really do?
1: No, that's a good a good idea. Uh, you have to keep in mind, uh, to design really good placebo trial is difficult. You know, uh, accounting for uh, types of recharging, uh, other device indicators, you know, uh, requirements to interact with the patient, types of programming, uh, limits our ability to properly blind patients. So, um, but if you look at the these two-year stable results, really it's very hard to uh, uh, account this for a sham effect. Um in addition to uh, FDA recommendations, uh, And uh, at that time, expert advice, this this sensor RCT was designed as the uh, comparative efficacy trial of uh, 10 kilohertz against what what was considered standard treatment uh, on the market. Uh, The goal was to provide um, useful data for uh, the clinical decision making. And I think that's the right way to go. So, um, I'm sure in the future we will see uh also attempts to uh to provide this type of uh, uh the uh sham studies and I hopefully we will see some of those
3: great now, all the patients who undergo stimulators end up having trials, but we you know we read about in your um article about sixty percent of patients were very satisfied with having undergone the procedure. So that kind of questions, you know, people who've had a trial have had experience with how the stimulation would feel are not left feeling very satisfied. What do you think kind of accounts for that fraction? Why aren't 100% of people satisfied after
1: they've undergone a trial? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. So in the, in the control arm of the census study, and same in the Kumar study, that's process, a randomized prospective tra- study, and NORD study back in 2005 uh, that was also published in Neurosurgery, uh, the And our control arm of our, and and the control arm of the the DRG study as well, uh, you can see initially very high success rate. You know, the conversion rate, we call conversion rate those who have successful trial, is roughly about 80%, 80, 85%. However, uh, you see this attrition that happens at three to six months, where success rate drops uh, uh, within subgroups. that uses traditional spinal cord stimulation to, to about 50%. And this was not the case with the 10 kilohertz uh, uh, subgroup, where the responder rate stayed stable all the way to two years at around uh, 75 to 80%. And This is the intention-to-treat analysis that we did. So there are a few reasons why. Uh, it may be. That this is a major uh, a placebo effect that we're uh, experiencing with the traditional spinal cord stimulation, because you know th- those questions that are asked to the patient and masking the pain with the paresthesias, where do you feel the tingling, may effectively telling these patients if where they wherever they feel tingling, uh, their pain should be covered, or taken care of by the permanent implant, and so. Uh, so the, the question is obviously um, if this is maybe a combination of the factors. We tend to believe that 10 kilohertz spinal cord stimulation also has some direct effects on the dorsal horn, namely related to the uh, uh, interneurons neurons that affect biodynamic neurons that may not be uh, the effect of the traditional spinal cord stimulation.
3: Thank you, Dr. Kapoor. So we talked a little bit about how well patients can do with spinal cord stimulation, and particularly now with high frequency stimulation. How do you counsel patients you know one month to one year down the line who really don't feel like they've had the same benefit they've experienced when they had their, undergone their trial? kind of what are some of the remaining options left in their care for their treatment of their pain?
1: Yes, so I mean there is a small uh, percentage of the patients who do not respond to uh, ten kilohertz spinal cord stimulation when it comes to the chronic back and leg pain. So those patients uh, may uh, be responsive to adjunct therapies like membrane stabilizers, uh, antidepressants for pain, uh, a few injections, uh, and the um, and uh, maybe even uh, ketamine infusions or intrathecal therapies that you mentioned before. Uh, also, we try to enroll those patients uh, before and after uh, the, uh, uh, such a trial to multidisciplinary program that includes the, the, the uh, other specialties and disciplines, including psychiatry uh, that will implement one-on-one therapy, group therapies, and so on.
3: Oh, great to hear. I mean, it kind of really stresses the importance of having a collaborative team when treating and helping patients with uh, chronic pain. Dr. Schwab, would you like to ask some questions as well of our author? Uh,
2: Absolutely. I'd like to, uh, first of all, congratulate uh, Dr. Caprol and his uh, colleagues for uh, this really tremendous achievement. Um, The patients, not just in the 10 kilohertz, Uh, stimulation arm, but even the patients in the traditional spinal cord stimulation arm did much better than prior reports and and had much greater efficacy in reducing, especially uh, axial back pain, and that's to be commended. Um, One of the things I think is really interesting about this study is, is frankly, the selection criteria were very, very different than uh, that in the NORTH trial and in the PROCESS trial. mainly in that, in that it did not require that the patient had prior uh, surgical um, intervention for their low back pain. They didn't have to have failed back surgery syndrome, whatever that is, although that's fairly um, heterogeneous uh, trash bag of diagnoses. Uh, the only sort of requirement from a spinal perspective was that they didn't have overt spinal instability on flexion extension films. So I just wanted to ask uh about you know what your thoughts are about uh how broad this can be done and, and where does this fit in the uh armamentarium um for the patient with back pain Is should this be should this technology be considered for patients that haven't undergone uh spinal surgery in the past but
1: might be candidates for it
2: uh, uh, sure. Uh,
1: so, these are two questions. Uh, we definitely know that there were several differences in this study and the previous RCTs, uh, mainly NORD and the Kumar study. That's all what we have. We have three randomized prospective uh, uh this type of indications. But, however, if you look at the previous studies, they looked only at so-called spellback surgery syndrome and, and also only predominantly leg pain. In the NORD study, uh, back pain was not even reported. In the kumar's study, there was really no benefit for back pain. So uh, so this study, looking into the both back and leg pain, I and mean, with the primary endpoint was back pain responder rate. So the percentage of the patients who had more than 50% of the pain relief in their backs. And this is the first time that we had really large-scale comparative efficacy, long-term uh, 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 RCT, uh, that will include uh, uh, such patients. So 10 kilohertz was effective in both groups and was, uh, as you said, traditional spinal cord stimulation too. Well, we improved devices over the years and we, we improved the um, implant methods, still, uh still 10 kilohertz was uh, superior to traditional spinal cord stimulation. But 15% of the patients did not have a surgery they studied. So we did the uh, 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 subpopulation analysis, but we couldn't find really any risk factors that will affect the outcome. So either they had a previous surgery or they had any kind of underlying etiology or they had predominantly back or leg pain, uh, we couldn't see difference in responder rates. Um, When it comes to the, is it going to change anything uh, in, in relationship to the, practice uh, when it comes to the spine surgeons, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that the uh, uh, the, the neurosurgeons who, who take into the account or uh, take, take the evidence-based approach uh, to their clinical decision-making process, uh, uh, they will be um, much more prone to refer or to perform uh, uh, spinal cord stimulation in those patients who have predominantly back pain. Uh, also, uh, there is enough confidence from this study to consider 10 kilohertz stimulation in the patients who are really not likely candidates or could not benefit uh, from the back surgery uh, on initial or uh, follow-up exams. So. Um, uh, um,
2: thank you yeah i mean we're, we're we're beginning to see that now i mean so i've seen some patients presented in our multidisciplinary conference with our pain colleagues um where the pain physician says well you know we talked to the patient about you know lumbar spinal surgery and they're they're just not really interested and and of course you know a lot of that is how it's presented you know would you rather go through this big spinal surgery or would you rather try out, you know, this little skinny electrode I can put in for a week and see how you do. Um, And so I think it's going to be pretty interesting as long as patients don't have progressive neurologic deficits uh, to see sort of how patients move through the system and and see if they end up going for more traditional decompression with or without fusion versus stimulation. I think some of it may end up being, in terms of long-term, uh, benefits but you know with two year benefits that you guys are reporting it's, it's pretty impressive and i think we're going to have to start comparing uh this technology to more traditional spinal surgery w- one of the questions i i also have for you is is about medication change you know with the current opioid epidemic uh this is a huge concern of seeing if we can get patients off their meds Uh, or on reduced meds. Uh, That wasn't something that was reported uh, in this paper, but have you guys done uh, any analysis uh, looking at medication utilization uh, in either group, in either the traditional
1: group or the 10 kilohertz group? Yes, we did. And the decrease of the opioid use was uh, in both groups. uh, It was significant decrease of the opioid use over the time. Uh, Keep in mind, uh, our primary goal was not intentional meaning of the opiate, that usually comes later on. But uh, even during the study, if you look at the numbers, uh, uh, there, was, there was a significant decrease of the opiate use in both groups, and again, it was superior, uh, more decrease of the opiate use in the 10 kilohertz group. Um, I think it's very important that, uh, to have uh, such therapy as a possible alternative as we have some other randomized prospective trials now in different areas of chronic pain as the alternative to to opioid treatment uh, uh and we definitely nowadays can can significantly reduce uh many times eliminate the need of opioids with such a robust treatment thank you
0: Um, This is Dr. Stripler again. Um, I want to thank um, the faculty uh, for their contribution. I think this was a very interesting discussion, very good questions. Uh, I also want to thank the audience for their interest in
1: our podcast. This concludes the Congress of Neurological Surgeons podcast.